Welcome, everybody, to episode 34 of the Next Day Takeaways here on Keyboard Kimura. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. We are here to discuss UFC Vegas 75, which took place last night, Saturday, June 17th, at the UFC Apex, headlined by a terrific, what ended up being a terrific, middleweight fight between Jared Cannonier and Marvin Vittori. As we have done over the last couple of episodes since sort of refreshing and revamping the way we do this show, we will begin by just running through the results from last night. So in that main event, Jared Cannonier earns a unanimous decision win over Marvin Vittori with scores of 49-45, 49-45, and 48-46. Co-main event, Armin Saryukin earns a third round stoppage finish over Joaquim Silva. Middleweight feature bout Armin Petrosian defeats Christian Leroy Duncan. Unanimous decision 30-27 and 29-28 twice. Pat Sabatini submitted Lucas Almeida at featherweight. Second round arm triangle choke. Lightweight Manuel Torres with a knockout of the year contender against Nicholas Moda. A minute and 50 seconds into the opening stanza. And in the main card opener, Nicholas Dalby defeated Muslim Salikov in a battle of welterweight old heads, 30-27 twice and 29-28. On the prelims, Alessandro Costa defeated Jimmy Flick by TKO, a storm of elbows, a minute and three seconds into the second round. Veteran Kyung Ho Kang defeated Christian Quinones, submitting him two minutes and 25 seconds into the first round. Again, at flyweight, Carlos Hernandez earned a technical decision win over Dennis Bondar, 30-27 twice, 29-28 once. We will talk about this fight a little bit later on. Women's flyweight, Teresa Bleda gets a unanimous decision win, 30-27 across the board against Gabriela Fernandez. Bantamweights, Dan Argueta and Ronnie Lawrence battle to a no decision after the fight was prematurely stopped by referee Keith Peterson. We will talk about that a little later as well. And in the light heavyweight opener, Modestus Bukoskis earned a unanimous decision win over Zach Pauga, 30-27, 29-28 twice. That is the night. Plenty to discuss, so we will get right to it. We start with the main event, and we're not going to go through every single one of these fights because I don't think there's necessarily things to talk about in every single one of these fights, although most of them we will probably touch on at some point. But in this main event, a lot of people, to me, going in, felt cool on this fight, felt a little bit of a a lack of interest in this matchup, simply because Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier have each fought and lost to Israel Adesonia and Robert Whitaker very recently, which sort of set this as I as I framed it all week as a bronze medal matchup at 185 pounds. Coming out of it, it feels to me like a fight that we still learn some things from. We saw Jared Cannonier up his output and and make the adjustments that he wanted to make both throughout the fight, but also from that fight with Adesanya. This is now two straight wins for Cannonier. He closed out 2022 with a victory over Sean Strickland in the last UFC fight of the year. But he also came out in this fight and and made some adjustments in the fight. He started out of the southpaw position and was landing some good leg kicks early, but it was also in that stance 
where he was taking the most punishment. And we heard Dominic Cruz and Paul Felder on the broadcast talk about the challenges of switching stances, especially when it comes to defensive responsibilities and reads. He switched back to orthodox, had a great deal of success from the second round forward, and really cruised to victory, dominated the fight. Kudos to to Vittori for being tougher than shoe leather and taking a hellacious beating. Cannoneer sets a record in the fight for the most significant strikes landed in a middleweight contest in UFC history. While I don't necessarily look at this performance and think Cannoneer is coming out and going to beat Israel Adesanya or even Robert Whitaker, for that matter, next time out, or, or if they were to do it again, there's still positives from this. There's still good moments from this. And and I, I know these are things that I harp on all the time, but they bear repeating because I, I, I need them to be said regularly because I, I feel that they're not. There is still great value in being the third best fighter in the UFC middleweight division. Jared Cannonier, whether it means he now becomes the absolute gatekeeper to the stars or a guy that has to go out and sort of follow that Joseph Benavidez track from several years ago in the flyweight division where he's got to keep fighting backwards a little bit for the next couple fights to to run this two-fight winning streak to three, four, five, six in order to get that next opportunity. The skills are there and we see that the, the ability is there. It makes him a compelling opponent for any of these emerging names in the division or any of these fighters like Hamzat Chemaev, who he was asked about after the event. Should those fights come together? Should those fights come to pass? It makes Cannoneer and it, it cements him as a dangerous test, as a difficult exam to pass for anyone looking to get into that championship mix. And I know there are a number of people that say, ah, I don't really care about that. But to me, those things are vital. Athletes like that, competitors like that are vital, not only to the lifeblood of the division, but for those emerging contenders. And we'll, it ties in sort of to, to earlier in the night, right? And we'll sort of not jump to it, but but touch on it here. The reason the fight between Kyung Ho Kang and Christian Quinones was so intriguing to me was simply because Kang was that step up in competition, that different level of experience and technical skill than anyone Quinones had fought previous to that. And while Quinones started well, as soon as he got a little loose and gave Kang an opening, the South Korean veteran took it. Take that to the absolute top end of the middleweight division, and Jared Cannonier is that guy. Anyone that is rising through the ranks. So whether that's Chemaev, whether that's Brendan Allen, who fights next week against Bruno Silva and will be looking for a big name and a big test, should he run his winning streak to five? Or if one of these guys that is really on the come up, whether that's Iskram Alaskarov, who is set to take on Paulo Costa later this year, or even someone like Bo Nickel in two more fights or three more fights, is looking to get into that championship mix, guys like Cannoneer become the benchmark and the test and the hurdle that you have to clear in order to get there. And he looked great 
on Saturday. This is another piece of this for me is that everyone that was down on this fight going in because, ah, these guys aren't going to be champion and failed in their bids to be champions seemed to enjoy themselves once the leather started flying, seemed to really enjoy watching Cannoneer and Vittori slug it out for 25 minutes. And that's not to be unexpected. Like if you, if you know these two, if you forecasted how this fight was going to play out, that was pretty much it. Now I got the winner wrong. I got who controlled things wrong, but in terms of it being a 25 minute high pace, high output battle, we called that perfectly. And it wasn't a difficult thing to see. This isn't me patting myself on the back, Barry Horowitz style. This is, you can, you can forecast these things. Like some of this stuff isn't difficult and you know, going in, it's going to be an entertaining fight. And so to me, this was one you absolutely had to be interested in and where the result absolutely has value going forward. I hope people see the positives that came out of Jared Cannonier's performance and the growth and development that he displayed in that, in that performance. I agree with what he said to Alex Behunen after the fact, when Alex asked him about Chimaev, that he wants to just fight ahead. And if they tell me that fight is going to get me a championship opportunity, then sure, I'll take it. But if not, no, I only want to keep going forward and get myself closer to the title. I look forward to seeing whatever's next for Jared Cannonier, whether that's Chimaev, Costa, Aleskarov, if he beats Costa, whatever it may be. This was a great performance, solidifies him on the podium at middleweight and reminds us that even though he and Vittori failed in their opportunities to, to claim championship gold, they're still very, very talented fighters and very capable men in the top five at middleweight. Armin Saryukin took a huge risk in accepting a fight with Joaquim Silva. And in the second round, we almost saw that risk backfire because Silva clocked him with a left hand that, as I tweeted out, sent the snot flying from his nose and put him on roller skates, jabbing at the guy two feet to the left of where Silva was standing. He was out on it, not out on his feet, but he was, he was rocked. He was in a bad way. And to his credit, he wrestled through a takedown and put Silva back on the mat, back on the mat, excuse me, recovered, got himself sorted out, shook out the cobwebs, and then came out in the third and put it on the tiring Brazilian. This dude is a nightmare. This dude is problems personified for anybody in the lightweight division. And I don't necessarily mean that he's going to run through everybody, but he's a nightmare matchup. And I, I just same as going into this fight coming out of it. I want to see one of these big fights. I want to see somebody ahead of him in the octagon with Armin Saryukin because a 26 year old that is as successful as he's been in the UFC and as good as he is right now should not constantly be needing to fight backwards and fight guys that aren't in the rankings when we have veteran names and established fighters ahead of him in the pecking order that either aren't fighting anybody or are picking and choosing their spots. 
And I know this is one of the many problems that come with the way UFC books fights and contracts and all of those things. This isn't an easy fix. This isn't an easy solution. You can't just force Michael Chandler to face him if the Conor McGregor fight falls through. You can't just force Rafael Faziv to get in the octagon with Armin Saryukin. But those are the kinds of fights that this guy needs at this point. I thought he won the fight with Matoish Gamrot last summer. He has looked very good since. He looked very good, save for catching that left hand on Saturday. The finishing sequence, the finish, finishing ferociousness, the understanding that I have this guy hurt and I'm just going to smash home elbows. I smiled thinking of Harry as he was doing it because he didn't bother looking for a choke. He didn't bother looking for any of that. He just hammered home elbows and punches and got him out of there. This dude needs a big fight. We need to see it. Coming out of Saturday, I now have a great deal of questions about Christian Leroy Duncan, who I was very high on, who I expected to have not an easy time with Armin Petrosian, but I expected him to win. I expected him to look good. And that wasn't the case. And it now has me sitting here on Sunday afternoon wondering, did I read too much into the early success? Did I bank too much on his ability to finish everybody on his way up and obscure the fact, overlook the fact that some of the just basic fundamentals aren't there because, and I don't mean this as a slight to Petrosian, he just stuck to the basics and got this done, including in the moment in the third round where Duncan landed a couple good elbows, cut him up, just goes to a little trip takedown and puts Duncan on the ground and grinds out a large portion of the remaining time on the clock. This was a very professional win for Armin Petrosian, who just picked his spots, landed when he needed to, didn't get rattled by any of the spinning attacks or any of the, the creative opportunities, creative attacks thrown by Christian Leroy Duncan, just settled in, did his thing, got his victory, got the hand raised. The next fight for CLD to me, and I said this on Saturday in about Saturday's action, the next fight is critically important. Who it is, how he does, how he looks, all things that are going to really impact and dictate what the rest of his UFC career looks like. He now needs to come out and have a great performance. Not just a win. A win is a win is important. A win is certainly obviously what he what he wants and what he needs, but it needs to be more than just grind out a victory or eke out a win. This is a guy that up until yesterday, a lot of us, myself included, thought he had top end of the division potential. That's now on pause and it may not be coming back. And it's going to take an impressive performance next time out to make me even reconsider that. And, and truthfully, two or three good wins for me to start thinking of him as even somebody that can break into the top 15, because for all the shit that we give middleweight, there's a bunch, there is still a bunch of talent in the top 15. And given how he looked on Saturday, I'm not going to sit here and suddenly be like, yeah, that's a guy that can go out and run through Nasruddin Imovov or Kelvin Gastelum or Roman Delizze. I thought he would be 
in that mix relatively soon, given the success he had in Cage Warriors. That's off the table now, and I really want to see and, and look forward to seeing what CLD looks like next time out. Great win for Pat Sabatini. Not going to spend a lot of time on of it. On it, excuse me, just went out and did what he does and and played to his absolute strengths, putting Lucas Almeida on the canvas, dominating the first round and then getting the finish early in the second. Great win for him to get back into the win column. Uh, five and one in the UFC now after six starts. Great bounce back from the loss to Damon Jackson. Look forward to his next one. Manuel Torres might just be a guy that needs to get hit once or twice before he kind of wakes up and settles in because Nick Moda hit him with a left hand and actually it was a combination, but the left hand was the final blow of the combination and it bloodied his nose and Torres right away checked on it and felt it. And, and you could see him kind of go, yeah, okay. All right. We're going to do this thing. And from that point forward, he marched forward. And he brought the fight to Moda and then put him into the shadow realm with a lead elbow, just a a smushed elbow in the face, all kinds of force, all kinds of power. Moda was out before he hit the canvas. This is a knockout of the year contender. We are coming up on the end of June, which means I will need to file my mid-year awards for UFC.com. This is probably in my top five. This will probably make my short list. If we have to do 10, it absolutely is included. This was an important result for me in, in tracking Torres because I think he looked very good in his win over Frank Camacho. I liked what I saw from him in winning his contract on the contender series by defeating Colton England and going out there and taking a good shot from Moda and responding the way he did gives me sort of faith and understanding that he's at, at the very least at this level, a guy that can hang at this level. I think highly of Nick Moda, his results in the UFC so far don't show. I think the true level of fighter that he is, he's now one and two. He's been stopped in each of those losses. The first one to Jim Miller, the second one, obviously here on Saturday night, but I think he's a good fighter. And I think this is the middle of the lightweight pack. So at the very least, Torres is a all-action guy that can hang out here. But I think beyond that, he's somebody that can continue to climb the ranks. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. He has good size and good length for the division. Obviously a bunch of power. Certainly not afraid to get in there and mix it up. This was a tremendous finish. A tremendous effort overall. And really a, a breakout performance for Manuel Torres. Going into the welterweight fight between Nicholas Dalby and Muslim Salikov, I talked about how these are the kind of veteran dudes that I want to see in every division and, and given the opportunity to hang around even when they're getting a little bit older and the explosiveness and athleticism is starting to fade a little bit and the results aren't there as consistently as they were when they were a little bit younger because the know-how and the savvy and the smarts and the durability and all of those things are there that make them vital to all of these divisions and great mid-pack challenges for the ascending set. Dolby on Saturday really, truly 
underlined why I want him around and why I want guys like this around. This was a great performance from the very late stages of the first round when he landed a head kick on Salikov through the rest of the fight. The Dane was in control, used his conditioning, stuck to what he does best. This was, to me, the definition of a professional performance. This is one of those fights and one of those efforts that if I'm a coach, I'm sitting down with my athletes on Monday and we're just, we're spending 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half an hour watching this fight and going through things, stopping and starting to look at a bunch of the things that Nicholas Dalby does because they're all things that are under understandable, coachable, learnable, and applicable to any fighter. There's nothing crazy here. This isn't a performance where Nicholas Dalby is some next level athlete and no one's going to be able to replicate what he does. This is tremendous conditioning. This is understanding your weapons and your advantages and playing to those strengths. Good jab, good kicks, worked the body a bunch, clinched when he needed to, just understood every moment of this fight to go out and turn in and pick up a unanimous decision win over Muslim Salikov. He's won three straight now in the UFC and is one of those guys that we're never going to think about him in terms of where he fits in the division, where he stands in the division. But I mean, he's four and one since coming back to the UFC. First win back was against Daniel Rodriguez, who we've obviously seen in there against, uh, sorry, in there against Ian Gary. I, I pause there and I hiccup there because it's, it's more than that. He's five and one with one no contest since coming back to the UFC. Cause there's a no contest in there with Jesse Ronson. That's what threw me off. We saw Jesse Ronson forgot that he had more cups of coffee in the UFC, but like five and one with one, one, no contest in seven fights since returning to the UFC tells you how good this dude is beat Alex Oliveira, beat Daniel Rodriguez, beat Claudio Silva, Warley Alves, and now Muslim Salikov. The loss is by unanimous decision to Tim means this is a quintessential second 15 fighter. And the kind of guy that just, if I'm a coach, I'm showing them to my, my young athletes. If I am a emerging talent in the division, that's the kind of guy I target because I need to be able to beat that dude in order to get to where I want to go. This was a great performance and we need to make sure to give Nicholas Dalby and fighters of his ilk their flowers far more often. Not going to go through every fight on the prelim as we just did for the main card. I do want to sort of focus in a little bit on a couple officiating decisions, a couple situations that occurred on Saturday and kind of break them down from my perspective in terms of both my understanding, the way they were discussed on the broadcast, the way they were discussed on Twitter, and just generally the way we look at officiating and officials in these sorts of situations. So the first one was the bantamweight fight between Dan Argueta and Ronnie Lawrence. No decision result after Keith Peterson had stopped the fight prematurely, believing that Ronnie Lawrence had tapped. He went out, consulted with the review official, who was Jaron Vallel at the time. They got it right. He came in. He apologized to both corners. He apologized to both athletes. It was ruled a no contest. The correct outcome happened. Now, is it 
frustrate, understandably frustrating for Dan Argueta. Uh, obviously, absolutely. Is it disappointing if you're Ronnie Lawrence because you didn't get the opportunity to navigate your way out of that and maybe maybe navigate your way out of that and have a great comeback performance? Certainly, you could make that argument. I'm sure Ronnie Lawrence will talk about that when given the opportunity. But at the end of the day, this was handled correctly. They, they did everything that we want these officials to do in situations where there are questionable moments and reviewable instances. And yet in handling it correctly, folks on Twitter were still just big in their feelings and big angry about how it was done. Because how dare Keith Peterson make a mistake? And listen, whatever you think of Keith Peterson, he is one of the better officials in this sport. And he's also a human being. He made a mistake. Ronnie Lawrence got that hand out there in the I'm about to tap position. And he just didn't. And he started to get close. Peterson checked the hand to make sure he was still, you know, the old Hulk Hogan raised the hand, see if it falls, see if he's out. And it stayed static. And in that interaction, it sort of touched Dan Argueta. And that's what Keith Peterson interpreted as a tap to stop the fight. But he then went out and f and fixed things, remedied things. And it's not a happy resolution because there isn't one, right? You can't restart the fight. This is, this is the unfortunate part of it. The mistake was made. The fight is done. But the process of arriving at the no decision result was all done correctly. And for me, that's all we can ask from officials in these types of situations is that they're handled correctly. I feel bad for all parties involved. I feel bad for Argueta who looked like he was going to go and get himself a submission win, if not a victory just in and of itself. I feel bad for Ronnie Lawrence that he's now stuck in this situation where, ah, but you were going to tap on all of these different things, right? He's, he's part of this mix. I feel bad for Keith Peterson who made a mistake, acknowledged his mistake, corrected his mistake, and is still catching strays from people that have never been in his position that are acting as if they've never made a mistake and probably didn't handle the mistake with the same class and swiftness to remedy things that Keith Peterson did. The other fight on the prelims that brought a bunch of scrutiny of the officials and the handling of things was the flyweight fight between Carlos Hernandez and Dennis Bondar. And it had two instances. So towards the very end of the second round, Dennis Bondar clips Carlos Hernandez with a clearly illegal knee. Hernandez is on both knees on the canvas and Bondar kind of throws a knee at his head. And in watching it back, and, and granted, this is on review, and this is in slow motion, it looks like at the last second he realizes, oh shit, this guy's down, I've got to pull this back. And it kind of grazes him a little bit, and it does hit him, and, and listen, I am very much the advocate for penalties at all times, take a point on every foul, and so that was my position then in terms of take a point, regardless of how heavy it landed, whether he started to chamber it or holster it, I should say, and pull it back. It is what it is. 
Jaron Valal decided not to take a point. I disagreed with that decision. I'm glad it didn't have an impact on the fight. Ultimately. So we get to the third round. And again, very late stages of things. Carlos Hernandez hits a body lock sacrifice throw, putting Bondar on the ground. And as he's coming down on top of Dennis Bondar, their heads collide. And Bondar goes out. Hernandez rains down a bunch of elbows. As soon as they hit the ground and Hernandez starts landing elbows, Jaron Vallel is jumping in to stop the fight and instantly says clash of heads and wants a review. Pauses the action. Says, look, this, is, this isn't the end of the fight in terms of the round because it happened at 4.59. And I'm, I'm calling time here. Not we're done. I'm not stopping the fight. I'm calling time because this is a clash of heads. Replays show again. It is in fact a clash of heads. Hernandez comes down. Heads clash on the temple. Bondar goes out. The elbows land. All of those things. Now I understand that this is a, a mechanical situation in terms of hitting that throw and this is just how the bodies landed. This wasn't an intentional headbutt. This wasn't anything of that nature. It's just body positioning and the mechanics of I've tossed this guy over and I'm coming down on top of him. We clash heads. There was no maliciousness here. This wasn't anything like that. But it was a clash of heads that put him out. And it's no different than when Bobby Green and Jared Gordon clashed heads standing. And it put Jared Gordon out and that fight was paused and ruled a no contest. I get all of the wrestling people that say, this is just what happens with a throw and you're looking to put guys out and you're looking to do that. But it's not by clashing heads would be my argument would be my, would be my counter to that. You're looking to slam somebody into oblivion. Absolutely. You're looking to do impact and damage by slamming this individual to the ground but not by your forehead striking them in the temple and putting them out that way. That's still a foul. That's still a inadvertent blow that changes the outcome of the fight. And so this one again, paused, they do the review, comes back that the clash of heads put Bondar out. So we're going to the scorecards as opposed to being a TKO stoppage. At the end of the day, the third round gets scored. Carlos Hernandez wins the fight 30-27 on two cards, 29-28 on the other. The right guy gets the victory. And yet again, Twitter is up in arms because of what was handled and, and wanting to get into being critical of Valel parse, parsing the minutia of this interaction. And I would say... For all the times Jaron Vallel has made mistakes in the octagon, and unfortunately for the Winnipeg native, they have been many. He got this one right. He's 100% right here. And that's probably an unpopular opinion and one that people are going to say, I'm standing up for my guy, I'm sticking up for my friend, whatever. He got it right. This was an inadvertent clash of heads during a slam that knocked Bondar unconscious. If it happened earlier in the fight and wasn't followed up by a storm of elbows that looked like they got Hernandez the finish. 
we wouldn't be having these discussions. What I would argue is that there's probably some folks that had Hernandez inside the distance, Hernandez, Hernandez by stoppage, all of those things as tickets that are a little upset. There's some people that just want to be big mad about every officiating call because that's, that's the thing to do. That's the, that's what the cool kids are doing these days. But again, this was handled correctly. And the really interesting thing to me, and I said this on Saturday, as this was all happening at the end of the day, the right guy wins. It doesn't change what Carlos Hernandez's performance looked like. So for 14 minutes and 59 seconds, he had a great performance. He came in as an underdog. He looked very good from the get-go. Good hands, good wrestling, good takedown defense, good ability to get right back up to his feet. And instead of focusing on any of those things, MMA Twitter just looks at the judge, looks at the officiating situation and digs its teeth into that because going, going in on referees and officials and judges is just where we're at right now. It seems to be more important than anything else, than even the action, than even the athletes themselves. We saw it a little bit even with the main event scoring because veteran official Sal D'Amato gave the fourth round to Marvin Vittori, which is a very difficult to justify scorecard. And I want every judge to get every round right, but I also understand the dynamics of that job and the dynamics of sitting around an octagon with a obscured views, excuse me. And I think at the end of the day, again, the right guy won, the right outcome ultimately was, was arrived at. And so we've got to start, we've got to start taking some solace in those things. And we've got to start lessening what we're so big mad about all the time. Like, yeah, that, that scorecard is, is tough. That round, I should say, is tough. But as my guy, Scott Fontana tweeted out today, Saldamato judged 39 rounds over the weekend between Bellator and the UFC. And he was the, in the majority, he was in the consensus in 38 of those 39 rounds. This was the one round where he was the dissenting opinion. And yet it is the one round anybody wants to say anything about. It is the one round that he is being judged for. It is the one round that people are upset about. And it came in a fight where the right guy won. That round, as much as I, again, as much as I want the officials to get it right all the time, it didn't change things. And so dial back the anger, dial back the vitriol, dial back the, these judges are terrible. They need to be whatever, whatever, whatever. It just feels to me like we are really focused on, I don't want to say the wrong stuff because these things are important, but it feels to me like we've lost perspective a little bit. It feels to me like we have made officiating and judging our focus in a lot of these fights. And I get that it's only when it comes up and it's only when there's instances where we disagree or we want some explanation, but like the Argueta Lawrence fight was handled correctly. It was, it was a mistake in the cage, but Keith Peterson acknowledged it. That's what we ask for. 
That's what we want. They fixed it in the moment. It sucks, but it was handled correctly. The Hernandez-Bondar fight was handled correctly. They did the right things here. The right guy still won. Talk about his performance. Not how the end came about. Because unfortunately, for all the people that are up in arms, you're mistaken. This was handled the right way. They did this the right way. And whether you want to say you let it go and it doesn't matter, fine. But from a actual technical, how this should be handled perspective, Jaron Vallel handled it correctly. And the judges on Saturday, outside of that Sal D'Amato round in the main event, did a really good job. I think there was one other round, maybe the first round, one of the early rounds in the fight, or sorry, the second round in the, in the opener between Modestus Bokoskis and Zach Pauga. Somebody scored that fight, 30-27. I believe it was Anthony Manis who has had some questionable scorecards over the years. That's another one that's a little bit indefensible. But again, at the end of the day, do we want to fixate on one or two rounds that are scored incorrectly by our, by our perspective sitting at home? Or do we ultimately appreciate that the right guy got their hand raised? For the most part, things were done well. And in these situations where the experts handled it correctly, we're still going to get mad. I, I like to think, and this is going to sound like I'm bigging myself up, but I like to think after 14 years, after watching thousands of fights, after going through the command course and passing it and paying attention to the unified rules and going over fights with a fine tooth comb countless times, I like to think I got a pretty decent handle on how fights should be scored, how things should be adjudicated in instances like the Argueta Lawrence fight, like the Hernandez Bondar fight. And in both of those cases, they did it right. And I know people want to just be mad and people just want to shout that these officials are, are terrible and they're costing people. And it's always in the name of, I'm just doing it for the fighters. And I'm just, I'm just back in the fighters. How could you do that to the fighters? They did it right. Keith Peterson and Jaron Vallel handled things correctly on Saturday night. One last note on this. In the Hernandez-Bondar fight, Dominic Cruz at two points. So at the end of the second round when there was the knee, Dominic Cruz incorrectly said, we'll go to the scorecards. And then at the end of the fight said, this will be a no contest. Again, incorrect. The rule in those situations if a inadvertent blow stops a fight is deemed to have been the reason that a fight is halted in three round fights, two rounds need to be completed in order to go to the scorecards in that situation. If we're in the third round, when it occurs, we score the third round up to that point, And that's how we get to the technical decision that we had. In that fight with Carlos Hernandez winning 30-27 twice and 29-28 once. If it was stopped at the end of the second, say that knee lands heavy and we're done. It's just a no contest because we didn't complete two rounds. It becomes three rounds need to be completed in championship fights. That's the rule. 
And I need Dominic Cruz to know that I need every broadcaster commentator sitting at that desk, wearing those headsets to know these things, not because I know them. And so they should, but because they're the experts, they're the people in the position to explain this to the masses that don't have the experience I have, that don't have the background I have covering this sport for 14, 15 years, going through the different things I've been fortunate enough to go through and, and gleaning the information and knowledge and expertise I've been able to build for myself over that time. I need Dominic Cruz when things go sideways like this to present the correct information, not to constantly be unsure of how fights are being scored and what the procedures are here. This is akin to a broadcaster in an NFL game, not understanding what's going to happen when there's a penalty on a touchdown, not understanding how these things are going to be enforced. It's a bad look for the UFC. And unfortunately it seems to happen with alarming frequency. And so I know that a bunch of the commentators got the opportunity to sit down with officials, to go over the rules, to go over some of this stuff. Feels like they need a refresher course already. Or conversely, and this is something we talked about a bunch back, back in the severe preview days and, and different severe podcast days, get somebody on there that can, that can operate the way that someone like Mike Pereira does for the NFL on Fox broadcasts. I believe it's Dean Blandino for the CBS broadcasts or whatever network has it now where they come on. And in those, we are not sure how it's handled situations. You go to the even greater expert. They do it with Steve Jaffe in NBA stuff. Often you bring in the guy that has been in that role that has that expertise and accreditation to explain things because it needs to be explained correctly. And it wasn't in that fight. And I think that contributes to the vitriol from the masses, to the vitriol from the public that all of this stuff is terrible. And, oh, they, they screwed this guy. And how could they possibly, these referees got it right in the end on Saturday. Yes. Keith Peterson made a mistake. We're all human. He gets to make mistakes. He corrected it instantly. He didn't stand there and say, nope, my decision is final. This is what happened. He went through the process correctly, apologized. We got to the best outcome in that situation. And I know it's not a pleasing outcome for Dan Argetta. I know it's not a pleasing outcome for the athletes, but it was the right way for this to be handled. Same thing for Hernandez and Bondar. They were handled the right way. And we need to stop being so crazy focused and crazy mad about stuff that gets handled correctly. And every instance of a referee or a judge doing something that we disagree with, especially when in the end it's either handled correctly or the right person wins. Again, I'm not saying brush over the mistakes, but this is a forest for the trees situation to me. Carlos Hernandez still got the win. He wasn't, it's not like he had some finishing bonus in his contract that he was getting extra money if he puts Bondar away. Same with the main event. 
Cannoneer winning 49-45 on all three scorecards doesn't change that he won the fight. Pick your battles. Save the anger and emotion and vitriol for decisions that are really, truly impactful and terrible. Last thing before we get out of here, I said a couple times on Twitter on Saturday that anybody in the I don't know these people, they don't have Wikipedias, how am I supposed to know what these fights mean, who these fights are, what they matter, that you can come to Keyboard Kimura. Come on over, subscribe to the newsletter, subscribe for free for five bucks a month or for 50 bucks a year, and I got you. And in each of those instances, I made sure to point out, this isn't just about me wanting to plug my content, wanting to build my subscriber base or anything like that, put money in my pocket. There is a free option. All of my content thus far has been free. I haven't paywalled anything because I'm just here to inform. I'm just here to educate, to get people interested, to explain some of this stuff that so many people seem to have trouble doing, understanding, knowing, learning, whatever it may be. Zero new signups through yesterday. Probably not going to get any more today. It's really interesting to me that same as everything. The big mad set seems to just want to be mad. They seem to just want to be shouting about all this stuff. I feel like I've got the expertise. I feel like I've done enough to prove my bona fides when it comes to talking about these athletes and informing people about the men and women that step into the octagon every single week because I write about every single fight on every single card every single week. And so the offer stands. Same as the offer from last week's Keyboard Come More podcast stands. If anybody wants to come and talk to me about hate watching these events and being hypercritical at all times, hit me in the DMs. If anybody wants to know anything about the men or women that are going to step into the octagon on Saturday or future cards throughout the year and know some of the things that, to, that they should watch out for each and every weekend, spencerkite.substack.com, keyboard Kimura, sign up for free, sign up for five bucks a month or 50 bucks for a year. You'll get all the info you need. All those things you're upset about, all that stuff about I don't know and I'm not sure, we'll take care of that. So if you really want to know, if you really want to get an idea of who these athletes are and why these fights matter, come on down. And if you're not going to, then again, same as always, you not knowing, you not being aware, that's on you. For the next day takeaways in Keyboard Kimura, I am E. Spencer Kite. Have yourselves a great week. Appreciate you. Love you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>